You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Long way since then. Congratulations on on your visa and everything, by the way. Um, life's pretty different for you now from when we last spoke. I think it was almost, probably going back three, almost three years ago or something. So a lot has changed for you since then. I guarantee I would have said to you in the last podcast, I just want to get my PR, get a dog, and <laughs> you know, go, go swim in the sea every day. So that's pretty much uh, what I've, yeah, what I've done. I mean, it's a bit grey today. Uh, anyone on YouTube, don't let them dictate that, but. Yeah, mate, it's a, it's a great life here. It's it's very simple. It's quite a lot different to the UK. But yeah, I'm just just enjoying it. Yeah, it may be grey, but I'm currently in South Wales and it's tipping down with rain, so there's uh, there's always that. How was your Christmas and New Year's? And what you got on for New Year's? Uh, quiet. I'm not really, um, I'm not really a, a sort of party guy or anything like that, so um, just a quiet one. Uh, like, uh, do you know what? The last couple of years, so you maybe got a few years till this happens, probably 32, 33, unbecoming and loving being unsociable. Mm. Uh, having a dog, having a dog is the cheat code to not having to be sociable. People are, oh, do you want to do this Saturday? I'm like, oh, I've got a dog. And mate, that that's it. New Year's Eve, I'm going to sit on this balcony. I might have a Negroni and a cigar and that's it. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to do anything. I just want to make sure the dog's right with the fireworks and that's it. <laughs> that's a way to live, man. Um, so I think a, a, a good place to start would be, I just mentioned there, I think we, I first had you on this show in, uh, at the start of 2020, I think it was when you brought out your first book or we, you were still in the promotion for your, for your first book. You've written another two since then. They're both bestsellers. You've been on these sold out tours across the, the UK and Dubai and Australia. Um, you've been on some, some massive podcasts since. A lot has changed for you from looking from the outside in but what has changed about james smith what what do you notice about yourself now that has completely changed from the you i spoke to three years ago if anything do you know what uh we're definitely one thing that i definitely like to say to people is we're we're not really ever a fixed person we're always a continually morphing evolving person i think that i might have been naive to that when i was younger that how much i could change in a few years actually at the end of my second book something called the end of history illusion where people seem to think the amount of change that can occur in their lives has only occurred up to the very point they're living in now and at any point beyond that they're going to be the same just older so my values have definitely changed i still stand with you know my original principles you know calorie deficit resistance training all of these things but like uh i would say i'm definitely slowing down a bit uh in a good way I'm starting to prioritize my training a lot more, starting to prioritize my energy a lot more because, and I hate to say this in a depressing way, between 28 and 33, in five years, you have to become a lot more protective of your energy. Mm. I've never had any issues with my mental health because I've always been protective of it. I've always, you know, had these very firm boundaries of what I will and won't be willing to do. Um, but as far as energy now, even the idea of having a couple of beers, you know, before my motto used to be like, oh, life is boring without a gin and tonic, but I'll have to concede on that a bit. If I was to go for dinner and someone's like, oh, do you want to have a gin and tonic? I'd be like, no, probably not. Because even if that negates my sleep by 20%, I don't want to impact tomorrow's training. Mm. And uh, when we spoke before, uh, I would have been a blue belt. I'm now a purple belt. Uh, I compete a bit more. I take jiu-jitsu a lot more seriously. Um, where I would have been very much at the bottom of the... Uh, of the, of, as far as pond sizes, I would have been at the bottom of the feed-in pool before I've climbed a lot higher than that and I'll teach a little bit as well. So as far as my life, I've slowed down a bit, got the dog, don't go out as much, don't go drinking as much. You know, without being a wanker, the last three flights I've done first class, I haven't touched a sip of alcohol. And when I first used to do it, mate, I used to get smashed. I used to get wasted. You know, and I was like, I'm wasting my money if I don't do it. But now... My energy when I arrive at the destination is more important to me than having a pissed up time on a plane. 
One thing um, from the outside looking in <clears throat> that I would say has maybe changed a bit about you and feel free to disagree, but this you seem to be a lot more, not that you weren't opinionated in the past, but you you don't shy away from giving your opinion on topics that aren't sort of fitness related. I think if you go back um, to the launch of Facebook, you were very you know, focused in on, on that niche and you were giving value in that area, but now you seem to you know, not shy away from a lot of people in your position who've acquired a serious amount of uh, social clout and, and following. They seem to sort of drop in and, and conform to these certain rules to sort of protect that. Um, but you don't seem to shy away on, on, on Twitter, on Instagram from, from giving your opinion on topics that may cost you, you know, followers who, who have dis you know, disagree in certain areas. Would you say you've become a lot more opinionated or do you just sort of care less about what people think? I think I've, I've very much exhausted fitness chat. All right. So I've been in this for nine years. So I'd probably say seven solid years of just chatting about fitness stuff. And to be honest, people told me this would happen before it happened. I'm bored to death of debating people about low carb. And you know what? I think people are bored to death of fucking talking about fitness stuff. January's coming. I'm excited for that because maybe there's a one month window that people give a fuck about fitness chat and nutrition chat. If you look at all the biggest trending videos on YouTube, it's talking about masculinity. It's talking about, you know, steroids. It's talking about this uh, incoming war between men and women and between left and right and between racial issues and all of this. Like, that's not the fitness isn't the the topic. No one's coming in and going, fucking hell, we need to change legislations in the state that I live in because of the way that we look at carbohydrates, you know? So there's definitely that as far as not giving a fuck. I think one thing that I've noticed across probably the last three, four years, as far as an online personal training standpoint, I probably have the same 5,000 people that some leave, some go, but there's about 5,000 people there that are truly, uh, very reliable. They're very, um, the, the products that I have as far as like my academy, people love the service, the product, and they stay through it. We don't actually have that many new people as you might expect. We do get some, but people love that product. And it's something that probably I could market better. Probably we need to publicize a bit more. So we have that. Then when it comes to selling books, you know, the first book, let's say you've got maybe a hundred thousand people, maybe 150,000 people that love your book. So when you're looking at three and a half million people across socials that I've now got, which is tremendously, probably tenfold what, when we last spoke, there's still only a small collective of people that support my life. Cause I don't do paid posts, don't do brand deals or anything like that. So 5,000 people that do online PT with me, let's say 150,000 people that buy a book on the week that it comes out. Who am I really upset when I say these things? Is it those people or is it the people on the fringes? Is it the people that go, uh, and I spot this a lot and I love it, where people will tweet you passively aggressively saying, if you don't change your standpoint, I'm going to unfollow you. So what they're saying is, if you want my mark of approval, you need to change who you are. And I love getting those people to fuck off because I actually don't, I don't want them infiltrating my close knit group of people that actually support me. They'll be like a plague, be like, you know, COVID getting in and spreading around. So it's not like I don't care. I'm actually just more interested. Imagine this, if me and you're at a pub in Sydney, let's say you go, oh, James, I'm coming out to Oz for a bit. If we get to a pub and you go, James, I'll, I had a question about fat loss. I'll tell you to shut the fuck up. I'll be like, let's have a beer, right? This is my one beer of the month where I'm actually going to get a bit pissed. Can we not fucking talk about fitness? And then you'd go, gender pay gap, let's get into it. And I go, grab another beer. Let's mm -hmm. get into this. You know what I mean? So it's more like that than anything else. Yeah, no, I, I found that, we found that with, with the podcast, especially, and how the content that people consume is a lot different now than it was three, four years ago. It seems like, you know, your traditional personal development, your traditional self-help, it, it doesn't seem to have the same sort of gravitas that it that it used to. Um, you know, you think, you know, you're, tr you're trying to tell, you know, someone's talking about the perfect morning routine. Well, there's bigger things to worry about at the moment. There's wars going on. There's, you know, uh, bad politics in the country. There's a lot more to concern yourself with. And, and people don't seem to be as interested in those topics. And one thing I found myself in certain positions where I've moved sort of um, the goalposts in terms of the content I try and produce and the people that I talk to. 
and I started talking to people, more people from the sort of political sphere. So uh, Brett Weinstein, I've, I've, I've now have a good friendship with, um, you know, I, I've talked to people like that and you start having different conversations and you start noticing that you can get into this game of producing content that you know is going to drive viewership and, and drive the revenue. And, you know, there's certain interviews and clips that I've never released that I was close to releasing that I knew if I released them, I'd get a lot of, uh, you know, a, a good reception for a lot of, a lot of views, a lot of maybe revenue. Um, but I was sort of going down that, that bad path of maybe talking about stuff that I didn't really care about that I knew was going to generate a lot of interest. And I sort of had that sort of war in my head with myself about the content I should and, and shouldn't be producing. How do I don't know if you've ever struggled with this, but how do you battle with that? Um, because I'm sure there's certain topics that you could speak about, post about on YouTube, and you know people would flock to, but deep down you, you really don't care about that. Uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't enjoy sitting in front of a camera talking about things I didn't enjoy, but I do definitely respect that algorithmically there are, there are waves that come in. It's like, I'm out at sea, I can see a set of waves coming in, am I going to ride it? Or am I going to watch someone else ride it? So one of the, uh, the liver King thing, when Derek more plates, more dates did the liver King video. I was like, I went home straight away. I was like, I'm in Australia. The time zone's different. I'm going to watch his video and I'm going to credit him by post links to his video, but I'm assimilate it into four minutes. And it's the most YouTube views I've ever had, uh, you know, in any clip that I've ever done. And so there was that. And am I passionate about Liver King? Not really, but now I appreciate that was a talking point. I think 51% of my hits came from SEO where people were searching for Derek's video, but then saw mine was shorter. So there are things like that. Twitter to me is a fucking cesspit. And you know what? I will say this. Twitter has become so much better in the last couple of months since Elon Musk took it over. As an app, as a platform, do you use it much? Yeah, I definitely do. And mate, it like I now go to Twitter before I go to Instagram. Hmm. so i'm i'm really enjoying twitter but at the same time if my twitter was deleted tomorrow I, I wouldn't care much because as far as the emotions it brings me it brings me news and you know some interesting things oh did you know that this has just happened or you know whatever but at the same time it's a cesspit where where anyone in the world with a shitty opinion can reach you and you know tweet you and can you you'd be a liar if you said that a tweet couldn't take your focus off thought for 10, 15 minutes, they could say something or whatever. And because whenever you read something, you always think there's an element of truth to it. You always go, oh, that's true. And then you try and disprove it in your mind. You try and break it down as to why it's not true. And you're like, look at this fucking person without a profile picture that's tweet. It got one follower and they've been here since 2009 or whatever. Or like, but Twitter's a bit of a cesspit. But now I just sometimes look to just throw something out there. Then when I'm getting DMs from famous people as well from things that go viral, it genuinely gives me anxiety. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, why the fuck is this person messaging me? Uh, he won't mind me saying it. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk DM me the other day. And what? I couldn't open it. I mean, I couldn't open it for like half an hour. I messaged my manager. I go, why is Gary V messaging me? He goes, you got the fucking message. And I was like, I've read this guy's book. I only have a business Instagram because of this guy. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck did I put out there that he's messaged me? Uh, so yeah, there, I would say there's times that I'm intentionally provocative for, you know, there is probably a Machiavellian element to that where I am doing it for personal gain. But the other times I'd say I'm probably just a bit bored and I want to have a general discussion. I'll tell you what, there was another one recently where uh, Qatar World Cup, I definitely got, I got it wrong and I'm happy to say that. I thought that people were speaking about just the nature that certain elements of sexuality were haram in Muslim countries. I've got Muslim friends, uh, I've been in Dubai recently where I had these discussions with them. And I thought people were like, you know, trying to put LGBTQ in the faces of people where it's against their culture. I didn't realize there were actual proactive things that were going on uh, against, you know, gays or whoever in, in Qatar. So I, I tweeted being like, hey guys, you could probably respect the culture out there. Then everyone came back and a few people messaged me, do you not know what they're doing? And then I was like, Fuck, no, I didn't know what they were doing. And then I put out another tweet and I'm like, hey guys, I was wrong on that point. But I'm still kind of grateful that I said what I was thinking. I, in some respects, had my ignorance curbed and then it straightened me out on another path. 
I think the biggest disservice people can do is to say nothing because they're afraid of criticism because then your ignorance remains. Mm. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> it's prevalent because there's certain things that, oh, I've, I haven't talked about, but I've had guests talk about on this channel and I've had maybe one or two strikes for it, um, that I've had to take down. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So, well, it was great. I spent ages editing. I interviewed David Icke. I don't know if you know who David Icke is, yeah. but um, it was a crazy conversation. And we, we are, it was me and him arguing back and forth, most of it, um, but no one will ever see it. So we were just challenging each other. And I thought I want to get this out. So I tried to edit it and cut out any words that I think were going to get a strike. And I thought, right, this is definitely going to get, um, get passed. And I put a clip out of him with, I checked it three, four times. I had my best friend check it a couple of times before I upload it. So it is becoming quite a, a scary place to, you know, to, to have free speech. But is that a good example of why you think that Elon Musk is having such a positive impact in, in the Twitter space? Because it, you know, free speech is at the, at the, at the forefront of his mission. Yeah. But even, even free speech, I think is such a subjective thing. Let's think of it this way. People are censoring one side of an argument. That's, that's how echo, echo chambers begin. And often the people that are censoring are the woke people with purple hair that, you know, are trying to be anti-establishment who, you know, they're like, oh my God, you can't say that. And, you know, they try and cancel you. And it's funny that the woke are the first to point the fingers at calling everyone else fascists when actually their, their way of screaming people down in lecture halls actually represents real fascism. Like, so that I don't agree with because let's, let's look at it this way. Andrew Tate being cancelled was such a, a hot topic, but it, what it needed was debate. And what it needed was, think of it this way, I've assimilated millions of followers by finding people chatting shit and calling them out on their misinformation. Should you think Andrew Tate or anyone in that similar position is spouting misinformation, why not download the video, stitch it, correct it, inform people, educate people? You could build in a mass of your own followers. You could actually drown him out should your point be more poignant or you know relevant than his mm. and his was a prime example where not many people saw this or there some well, actually no millions of people did but the faith behind social media companies was totally eroded by that everyone thought this youtube is no longer a place to post videos it's a place to post videos that are in line with exactly what youtube want and i you probably know this when you upload your videos have you noticed that now the c word has been put in with some of the most vulgar, offensive words you could ever say as a human. So now if you use the C word in a video, you pretty much got to categorize your video as far as AdSense as saying some words that you would never, ever, ever say live on, on streams. Yeah. So I'm like, where did that come from? Someone out there is so offended by the fucking C word that they've gone, guys, I think we need to update YouTube's policy. We need to keep people safe. And if you're going to use the word the C word, then suddenly I think we should categorize that with what word? The worst words. You know, the C word, I'm going to say that so you don't have to tick this in case you want to monetize it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, first came from a street name in the 13th century called uh, Grope Lane. And oh. Grope Lane was a prostitution area in the 13th. Uh, if you go to 13th century linguistic journals, you'll actually see that was the word used for anatomy. So we've got a word that's been taken from anatomy over the course of nearly a thousand years that now has caused people such upset that they've now put that in there. But that's, I guarantee a bunch of little woke fuckers in a little room somewhere and the HQ of YouTube, wherever it is going, guys, no, we should not let people use this word. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know? So Elon's takeover is great because he reinstated Trump. He reinstated Tate. Uh, Tate definitely did get a learning curve from being canceled and What's interesting now is he generated so much attention because it is an attention economy. Whoever can draw the most attention online is going to win the battle. He got canceled for pushing it a bit too far. And they took some old clips. They took it out of context. Also, when you're preaching a message on social media, but it doesn't impact your bank balance, it's very easy to overstep the mark. You know what I mean? Imagine me and you are here and no matter what, We've got 50 other businesses that are going to make us millions at the end of the year. We probably don't care that much about getting cancelled. So I actually think he did say some things that he probably didn't mean. But now that Twitter have reinstated him, 
he's brought that message back. He's converted to Islam and he's actually found a very interesting balance between provocateur and role model. And he's actually storming through a path where for nearly a few months now, he's not done anything cancelable. Here's Morgan interviews. Have you seen how they've gone? Yeah. First one, he's getting shouted at. Second one, he's making solid points. Third one, he did online. Fourth one, he flew on a private jet back to London to play Piers Morgan in chess. Yeah. It's very interesting how everything's turning out with Andrew Tate, isn't it? You've actually sat down around a table and had a conversation with him. What was your experience like meeting him in person? And and did it surprise you or did you go, any with, go in with any sort of preset um, ideas on what you were expecting from him? I knew from the off that he's a very intelligent guy. Hmm. Tell you that straight from the off. So the first thing I could tell is just the way he can form a verbal argument. It, people hate to say it, but he's probably in the top five verbal competent people up there with the likes of, you know, let's say Jordan Peterson. How much is off the cuff? We don't know. We don't know. Perspicacity. <laughs> so you've got a very verbal competent person. Second of all, uh, the... I'd, I'd seen that him and his brother had been on TV for the best part of 10 years. And you should never, ever discredit someone that's been in a hustle for 10 years. Like, off the top of my head, who else do I know that's been in this game 10 years? Probably Rogan. That's the only person I really know that's got 10 years plus of, like, really going at it. Then uh, the kind of brotherhood with his brother, like, that is very strong. So before I've even judged him on anything he said, the way he is with his brother, the loyalty to that, then his father, I know, is ex-military and chess. Now, bums don't play chess. Bums don't get their kids to play chess. So I know there's intelligence. I know there's long-sighted kind of uh, logic. And I know there's strong family bonds. So I knew straight from the off, this guy's too intelligent to be an idiot, if that makes sense. And I said on another podcast, just before, or just when he got cancelled, he had the perfect opportunity because I've been watching this and people think I'm probably trying to simp him off. I'm not, I'm fascinated from a marketing standpoint. I'm someone who has a very, very comfortable life from using social media as a tool to reach people. So when you see someone do it better than it's ever been done in history, you pay attention to that. And if you don't pay attention to that, you're a fucking idiot. So I'm watching him very closely. I'm tuning into some of his interviews when he did the Nelk Boys podcast in Croatia, that's when he had to turn a corner and show his true colors a bit more. But he kept up the bravado because the misogynistic thing was gaining him too much popularity, even though it was bad press. To me, and I'll say this to his face, he should have turned the corner then, but he didn't. He waited until he got cancelled. So I met him in Dubai and we spoke for about half an hour before the podcast. And he's a really nice guy. And people are going to hate to say that. They're going to hate to hear that. We stood in a in a pretty busy gym and we're trying to chat and just not really about anything business about this about that about events he'd obviously done his homework on me or he'd had people do homework on me which again when you're having a conversation with one of the most famous people in the world and he's taken five ten minutes out of his day to know who you are what you've done we even had a bit of banter about the fact that i put a, a bald cap on pretending to be him on social media bugatti and um then we go into the room, we sit down, the cameras go on. And you know exactly at that point, he switches it. Boom. He's Andrew Tate. And he has all the points, all the things he wants to say. And he does it very, very well, very precisely. I was actually uh, impressed by the energy he brought for two and a half hours. And I was like, where's this coming from? Where, you know, it, I was actually you know, not the things he was saying so much, the way he said it, the kind of, uh, the energy, the vigor, all of these things. I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, I think you forget how many podcasts he's done, how long he's been doing this, how long he's been opinionated. There are videos of him saying things very similar to what he's saying now on old camera phones from probably seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, it, he's a, yeah, he's a nice guy. And then some of the things he said in the podcast I was like, oh, I'm not being associated with that, but yeah. <laughs> If, if anyone uh, was ever going to meet him or hang out with him, he's not the person you see on social media. And again, I've, I've probably been guilty of this. I've chatted shit about people I've not met where 
in reality, we should probably hold our reservations till we've had a bit of FaceTime with people. When when we spoke um, <clears throat> back in 2020, I told you a story of when I was in university, I, I went to Body Power in Birmingham um, and I was quite naive to the ways of the sort of bodybuilding world. And I remember at the time I telling myself my goal physique and I believed at the time it was attainable was Steve Cook. And um, I went and I, I went to Body Power. I met Steve Cook and I remember I had a photo with him and I came away from the booth and I was looking at it and I thought, this is definitely not attainable. We are miles and miles and miles apart. Like no matter if I trained like him every day, I'm never going to look like that. And I remember I was on my way out of the booth and the company that sponsored it, they <clears throat> gave me a can of BCAAs on my way out. And I remember looking at it for a split second and thinking, is, is this it? Is this the difference between me and Steve Cook if I start drinking? So I came away and, you know, I was with this can, I was like looking into it. And then I saw it sort of dawned on me what was happening. I was sort of, my insecurities were being sort of, mar- you know, used to market things at me. Um, and I, I, I grew onto that quite quickly. But you mentioned something like Liver King now with us, such a big story and, and that's come out. I mean, the majority of people, I assume, knew that, you know, it wasn't just these ancestral tenants that he was on. Um but with something like that and someone so famous being exposed like that, that's got to do a, a lot of world of good for kids who were once in the situation I was in, right? A hundred percent. And what's annoying here is Liver King is the perfect villain because of his ways. Hmm. But at the same time, I'm the one that's put out more hit pieces on Liver King than anyone else. The problem is the fucking tenets of ancestral living are good. His story is good. Again, like Tate, when confronted, just come clean and be honest. And say, do you know what? The liver king to be the most primal version, whatever, I am on TRT. Cool. And then he could have said, I don't want to talk about it beyond that. But he lied. And then the lies build and build and build and build. But you know what? There are other things here that have kind of been overlooked. What about Chris Hemsworth? What about Thor? What about the people trying to look like Thor? And what about the fitness app that was sold for $200 million? Why are they not going for him? There is some double standards here. Because if you're a Marvel fan, if you like the Avengers, if you're a big fan of that film, if you've got an emotional connection to these characters, this is happening everywhere. And why can we only, why are so many people only having animosity towards Liver King when there are so many other people? What about The Rock? What about all of the things he's been, you know, involved with for 25 fucking years? What about wrestling fans? What about anyone that watches WWE? What, so we're just supposed to punish Liver King? What about everyone else? How much has The Rock made in 25 years? You know, so we've got things like that. Arnold Schwarzenegger was lucky because he got in and out. No one, he became such a don that no one could even ask him that question. No one could even sit and go, hey, Arnie, you on steroids? You'd be like, get the fuck out. You know, so like, if we're going to, if we're going to punish some, we need to punish all. Mm. And then we need to look at the fitness industry and we should actually uphold the, the honest people in a better light and say, look, this is a representation of that. So. Steve Cook, I've asked people within his circle if he's juicy. And some people are they're genuine, like, now he's natural, now he's natural, now he's natural. I'd say chances are he's, he's maybe had a couple little cycles here and there. Definitely for his leg development, because his legs are fucking fantastic. Yeah. I'll give you that, right? Yeah. But I've actually been flirting with a, a few different kind of TV producers about... Uh, a few years ago, someone came and was like, oh, if we were to do like a show for like Netflix or something, what would you want to do? I would say, and the thing is, it's quite hard to do this ethically. I'm willing to do anabolic steroids at a bodybuilder dose for 12 weeks and document it. But then it's very difficult to get that paid off. If you're going to invest half a million pounds into a TV series, uh, people are like, oh, is this going to be able to harm James South? Oh yeah, possibly. It's going to be shit for his blood pressure, his lipids, all these things. But I would actually love to show people what is can be done and people would realize it looks like most people's fucking 12 week challenges that they do these bodybuilders these physique preps and again 
it's just one of those things where body power is a massive date in the diary for bodybuilders. I did uh, Dubai Active a few months ago. And one side of it, it's like gym equipment, like smoothies, whatever. And when you go to the bodybuilding side, it's supplement companies that are blaring music so loud that it's like deafening. You have to hold your fingers in your ears. They're on stools opposite each other, seeing who can play music each other the loudest. You've got bodybuilders that have probably been looking forward to six months for that day. So even when it comes to you standing next to Steve Cook, how long did he prepare for? Months. How long did you prepare for? You probably brush your teeth in the morning, paper slips some gel in your hair. You know, everyone, imagine if I said to you, you're going to get 5,000 photos with someone over three days. And if you look good in those photos, people are going to buy your fucking clothes. They're going to buy your supplements and they're going to buy your online training program over these. That's 5,000 prospects that you can sell into. I go, Hey, Dubai, Dubai active isn't for another eight months. How about we put you on a bit of testosterone? How about we put you on a bit of growth? How about we get you on, uh, you know, the sunbeds a little bit, tell you what, Let's, uh, you know, do, so let's imagine we do this, right? Eight months, you can go on and off maybe two, three times. Let's get you packing on a bit of muscle. And then you suddenly have an advert on your podcast going, Hey guys, you might notice that I've put on a bit of size recently. Truth be told, uh, I was doing a bro split. Now I've started doing this four day split. That's just changed my life. And I've started taking a couple of supplements. If you want to know what the supplements are and the four day split, you can access it for only twelve ninety nine a month. You know what I mean? So then suddenly when I'm dangling, imagine this testosterone in many cases costs less than supplements. When I went on test before my vial of testosterone costs less than my tub of protein. Wow. All right. So, so let that sink in for a sec. If I could get you to go on testosterone and do a few cycles and do exactly what I just spoke about, you could go full time with your podcast. You could quit your jobs. You could earn more money doing less, not having to leave the house. You could now leave the South of Wales, maybe go to Marbella, maybe get yourself a four bedroom house. How does a swimming pool sound? What do you need to do? Be dishonest with the people that buy into you as a brand. It's tempting, right? Very. Yeah. Now here's something from a moral standpoint, we all seem to think our morals are set in stone. Have you ever noticed that when you're on the motorway and you're speeding, if everyone else is speeding, it suddenly feels like it's completely fine. Hmm. But if no one's speeding, it suddenly doesn't feel like the right thing to do. So I'm not saying Steve Cook's on steroids. I'm not saying anyone in that particular thing is, but if you're optimum nutrition and everyone else is doing this, speeding as the analogy, suddenly it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to do it yourself. Or maybe just a bit of Anavar here, you know, maybe a bit of Winstrom, maybe a bit of Deep Bowl. Don't do Deep Bowl. It's not good for you. For your insides when you're breaking it down, use injectable. No, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? So like suddenly you're like, oh, I could just do a bit of this. I can make a lot more money. Like don't fucking most months I go, do you know what? Sign up to my academy. I've got three and a half million followers. I've only got 5,000 people doing the program. If I went on a bit of gear, right? Even if I put $20,000 to the side, what am I going to get with that? The best testosterone, the best doctors, the best blood works. There's a um, pathology lab just downstairs from where I live. For 20 grand, I could go on gear for a few months. I could bring out a new program and turn that into 200,000 or 2 million. It looms above me all the time. But then what? That's the most, do you know what? That's the most dangerous thing. Rather than misleading people and being a, a twat, then what? What do I do bigger? Do I do more? Do I get more of this? Or where do I go from there? Oh, it's going to slump the sales for the following six months if I end up coming down. Well, but James, your system was working so well for you in the first few weeks of Jan. What happened? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's scary. I've got a, one of my best friends is um, he's, a, he's a model and um, he's in unbelievable shape. Like if I stand next to him and I know, I know he's clean, I, I stand next to him and I suddenly feel very shit about myself. Like he's just disciplined as fuck and he looks incredible. But what, we were talking and I was sort of brainstorming with him how to, you know, kick his social media on and, and things. And he was talking to me about um, steroids and just the way he was pitching it to me was that everyone else in the industry that he's he's going for is using or that the successful are. And he, and he felt like by not doing it, he's just falling behind everyone else. And it is that analogy you gave then if like everyone else is speeding, then it's fine if I speed too. 
Yeah, and imagine this. The chances of him being a successful bodybuilder are slim to none mm. without anabolic steroids. Yeah. Slim to none. The same goes in most professional sports as well. If you want to be a top level athlete, imagine this, you're 25 and you didn't make it versus, you know, oh, what if I took steroids? What if I'd done more training? What if I'd done this? What if I'd taken a gamble? These are the things that haunt people. And even at the top level, there's definitely steroids going on everywhere. But again, the sad thing here is, let's say he does take steroids and he does make it to a high level bodybuilder. Out of the amount of people that would self-classify as bodybuilders, how many of them have experienced success? Because even, you know, in some respects, like we, there's definitely a survivorship bias here, right? Have you seen the famous uh, example of the survivorship bias where planes came back from World War One, and they looked at where the holes were from being shot with the bullets in the wings and they said, we need to armor up where the bullet holes are because this is where planes are being shot. And I can't remember the name of the chap, but he said, no, that's not where we need to put armor. We need to put armor where fucking planes didn't come home. He goes, if there are holes in the wings and the bird made it home, then that's fine. What we need to do is armor the places that there are no bullet holes in because they are the places they got shot. So, you know, again, I say this when I do my business talks, I say to personal trainers in the room, I'm speaking from a position of survivorship bias. Maybe I don't have a fucking clue how to run a business, but I was the one person that made it. Do you remember Darren Brown, the magician? Did you ever see his uh, way of predicting the horse race? I don't think I saw the horse race. No. So he had this system where he was like, right, he um, brought this girl on and for seven or eight horse races in a row, she'd predicted, he'd predicted for her who was going to win. She got a random text for him and Darren Brown said, bet on this horse today. So she bet on it. It won. Next horse race, bet on it. It won. So after like six horse races or whatever, he goes, I need you to get all of the savings you can and bring them together and bet on this horse. So she does it. After she's done the bet, he goes, do you want to know what the system is? She goes, what? He goes, I messaged 7,000 people. After the first horse race, which was a seven horse race, 6,000 people lost their money. So there was a thousand of you left. The next horse race, it was a five horse race. I told all of you to do different things. There was 200 of you left. After the next horse race, there was 20 of you left. After that horse race, there was four, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you are a statistical anon 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 anomaly, anomaly yeah. Yeah. of what's left. So she goes, there's no system. He goes, no, there's no system. And I was like, whoa, I was like, that's a crazy way to see it, right? So that could be me. I could be the girl left with the, the horse racing ticket just at the end. Everyone else could have died out on the way. So there definitely is like a survivorship bias with it. But like, even then as a bodybuilder, it's not congruent. My vocabulary's got better since we last spoke yeah. with a good life, right? So weighing up your protein, not being sociable, training in the gym for two hours a day, you know, tensing, going through these cyclical bouts of, because we, we gain weight and we lose weight, most people throughout the year, pretty normally. But then when you've got to fit that in with calendars of fitness shows, that doesn't come natural. Oh, you know, I'm good. for norm, most of us, it's like, get your shit together, get on a bit of weight, whatever it is. But then suddenly you've got a hyper-obsessed, self-obsessed, narcissistic in some respects, uh, body confidence, you know, fearful person that is more obsessed with the way they look than the way they live. That's probably the best way you could do it. Having an obsession with how you look that trumps how you live is a, a recipe for a fucking a shit time. Hmm. And even if your friend, what's his name? Well, I'm not going to out him, but I'll, let's call him Mike. Mike. Let's say Mike, right? Say he does become a fucking Wales bodybuilding champion. Yeah. How much does that pay? Penny, a couple hundred maybe. quid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mate, you can't even get a fucking easy jet flight to Lisbon for that. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're 12 weeks, right? Even let's look at it your way. 12 weeks doing a podcast, two a week. You could have 24 podcasts that you're putting out. Or you could just be hungry for that duration of time, step on stage to appease a load of other fucking narcissists and fake time yeah. and afford a one-way easy jet flight to fucking, or Ryanair to go to Lisbon. <laughs> just before we start the wrap up, um, just on that, on this subject of, you know, the way you lock and insecurities is one, I'm a big fan of of your newsletter. Um, and I will, I will link it below if anyone's interested. And the one newsletter that you wrote, it must've been a good few months ago now, um, that I referenced the most is 
when you wrote an email about Bruce Willis's hairline. Um, and I sort of reference this all the time, um, that he was once regarded as one of the best looking men on the planet, but, you know, he didn't have a, his hairline wasn't, you know, front and center, far from it. And, you know, my younger brother, he's, he's, a, he's a teenager now, he's like 16 years old. I remember he was 16 years old and I, I went home to visit my parents and I saw my brother looking in the mirror and I was like, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm checking my hairline. He's a 16 year old kid. And I'm like, shit, is this where we've come to now with, you know, social media and, and, and kids being taught, you know, what, what they need to look like. And I even hear him when, you know, when he's on Xbox to, you know, all people online, like the insults seem to be about like shit, like hairlines and things like that. It, 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 it really perplexes me. Where do you think this has come from? And what do you think sort of the remedy for this is? Or do you think it's just going to get worse and worse and worse? Men are, men are trying to impress other men. And this has always happened, right? Let's say we're hunter-gatherers. I'd have a bigger stick than you. Mm. And I'd be from a different tribe. You go, that's a fucking good stick. You'd wait until you get back to your tribe and go, did you see the size of James's stick? <laughs> and then I'd be like, come around mine to my cave. Why? Because my cave's the big cave. You know, like, so men have been in this, you know, John Peterson, dominance hierarchy, whatever. So men like to tear other men down as much. Your mate, bodybuilding, Mike, he's doing that to impress other dudes. The judging panel at that competition are other men, not women. Yeah. Most women in his life go, that's too much, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to please the other men. So then suddenly it's like a battle of the hairline. And do you remember a film called The Rock with Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Right, let me find this. Because uh, Nicolas, sorry to make, make sure you clip this as well, because this is a fucking, this is going to be a good segment for YouTube, right? His hair in that film is like, he's receding. What do they, a line of rabbits running backwards, a receding hairline. He has like a wisp, a wisp of hair. Let me try and find a better one. And his comb over is non-existent. Yeah. So I'm going to put it here. I'm really going to try and get that into that. It's like Homer yeah. Simpson's hair. The rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no one gave a fuck back then. What's that? 1997, I think. Well, 1996. Because he saved fucking San Francisco from this military fucking bunch of people that were trying to melt everyone's faces off with rockets. Yeah. So it didn't matter. Bruce Willis in like the first Die Hard film, it didn't matter. Because masculinity was about knowing how to use a machine gun and saving the fucking world. Mm. And now masculinity has changed to the point that you've got to have a shaved chest. You've got to have a perfect hairline. And for me, one thing is we all, we all get to be the gatekeepers of what we judge to be masculinity. Mm. And it depends on our values. For me, being a man is about one, being able to provide. And that's when I say I want to provide, a lot of women will construe that as, you know, I don't think my partner is capable. None of that. No, I like to buy dinner, even if it's for my friends, my family, whatever it is. I like the fact that I gave my parents an Amex to my bank account. So if they ever need to buy anything, they can do it, right? That makes me feel like a man. On top of that, I love jujitsu where I love that I could probably submit 90% of the world's men in a, in a street fight, right? I like that. And I could do it without hurting them. Mm. If someone tried to lamp me in the street, I've got a high chance. And I know some boxers are like, no, BJJ doesn't work in the streets. I've got a very, that's why I said 90%. I've got a high chance. I'd get them to the floor and choke them out and put them unconscious. Say to someone, someone call the police. There's an unconscious guy in the alleyway. That makes me feel like a man. My hair is not something I hold to the standard of, of being a man. I've been getting banter. I've got a baseball cap on. I'll take it off. I've been getting banter now about going bald. I've got really fine hair. You know, I do. I've got, I probably am receding. I'm 33. I'm 33. And guess what? It, if I am or if I wasn't, it doesn't change my life. It doesn't change my day-to-day -day life. And I get comments on TikTok as well. Just shave it off. Like, what is the problem here? Even if I do recede, even if I do go thin on top or more thin on top, why, why is that a problem? If my, and again, we spoke before about people that actually honestly care. If my missus said to me, I think she'd shave your head, I'd probably consider it because she's the one person that my attraction really is important to. Yeah. Outside of that, I don't think anyone's got a standpoint on it. Now, there are so many men out there that have probably saved a few thousand pounds they could have got themselves a DSLR camera and a podcast set 
and gone after their dream and said they're flying to fucking Turkey to have an operation on their head. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's fucking crazy that people will park their passion or they'll park a project that they want to work on for the sense of just wanting to please other men. There are guys out there that are in perfectly good shape or that have perfectly good teeth. And now I speak as someone who, uh, double standards here, at 22, I was, I'm, the person I take the piss out of is someone who I was when I was younger. I used to have the gold gym vest. I used to take steroids. I used to, uh, you know, take pre-workout. I used to try and get Tom Hardy traps from the film Warrior. I was that guy, right? I'm that guy. I'm now the person I wish was there when I was younger. And I had crooked teeth. So I had, uh, I went to the dentist. I said, I've got crooked teeth. Uh, I probably had the same kind of teeth as Tom Hardy and overcrowding at the front. No one ever really had a problem with it. My rugby teammates used to give me banter about it. They used to call me snaffle tooth. And so with my hard earned money, what did I do? Went to the dentist. He said, you can have braces. I said, I don't want braces. So instead I had my two front teeth taken out at 22 and I had a bridge put in. So a six plate bridge over the front. So within two weeks, cause guess what? Young men are impatient, fucking impatient, right? It's why they don't want to build muscle naturally. They'd rather do it steroids. So at that point I've had the teeth put in. So then a few years ago, uh, I've chipped them from playing rugby or whatever. I ended up having the whole lot redone. So I had veneers. I didn't go to Turkey. I had them done in London. So when I say to people, my teeth were fucked and I don't have two front teeth. I got veneers to cover up the fact that I was an idiot when I was younger. But you must have seen it on TikTok where guys with perfectly good teeth are now getting these crowns from veneer where all, all of these ones in Turkey, where they're all the same. Mm. People don't even appreciate the idiosyncratic differences, got you again there, between us that make us unique. And mm. it, it makes me sad now that all men are trying to have the same hairline and the same set of teeth. Yeah. Where for so many people, I think that that little imperfection that they had is something that they should have cherished and, and you know, upheld a little bit more. And when I think of Bruce Willis, when I think of Nicolas Cage, the fact they were receding was part of their Id idiosyncrasies that they had was part of who they were. And could you imagine if Bruce Willis had a fucking hair transplant? <laughs> and mate, and even Andrew Tate again, he was clutching older bit for a while, yeah. shaved his head. You can't really now he looks weird when he's got hair. Joe yeah. Rogan, same again. Some of the 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 biggest dons again, I said The Rock, Bruce Willis, Jason Statham, Andrew Tate, Joe Rogan, they just shaved their head. And do you think they give a fuck? It, your brother, you should look at him and go, you're probably paranoid. You could have spent that five minutes better. If you ever get to the point where you go, I haven't got enough hair to have a hairstyle, then shave it off. And I don't know many men that shaved their head and regretted it. No. Because they have been. I shaved my head when I was 19. I did it for four bottles of Carlsberg. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, mate, it's fucking, it's crazy world we live in, isn't it? We've got so many genuine things we could do with our attention span and our life. And we spend it worrying about how many follicles are fucking doing their job in our head. Yeah. Yet Jordan Peterson is the bad guy, right? Mate, he's got a killer hairline. He's got a very strong hairline. So <laughs> <He does. laughs> and it's completely out of our fucking control as well. And also, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the fucking yeah, pretty much. Jordan Peterson's a G. I love him. And you know what? Don't agree with everything he says. Same. But I do agree with most of it. Yeah. He's the elusive Peterson for me. I've had I've spoken to his wife. I've spoken to his son. Um, I've actually spoken to him on the call while he was setting up the call for his wife, but still not managed to get him yet. But uh, yeah, one day. Have you ever have you ever met Jordan Peterson? Nah, uh, I've done some uh, like uh, maybe three of my touring events from the last tour. He was in the building the night before us. Ah, no way. And in case you ever see a picture of like me on stage with a big crowd. Just know that Jordan Peterson was there two nights before selling out for two nights with a bigger crowd. <laughs> Love it, man. Well, I really appreciate, um, I'm, gonna, I'm conscious of our time because I forgot that Australia was a day ahead of us. So we started a little bit late. Um, before I let you go, it's just a question that I ask everyone and it'd be an interesting one for you because you've lived the corporate life. You've lived the sort of the vagabond in life. For James Smith, what makes a life worth living? Do you know what? That's a very good question. I don't think I've given that uh, enough thought. I'll probably lean on my distinction between happiness and pleasure. Uh, if I was to look at some of the things that I've done for pleasure, uh, I've bought a Rolex that I don't wear. 
got an AP that I put on just so that it feels like it's got its value in money. Um, but when I look at things that genuinely like make me happy, it's not those things. I got a five-year-old car that I love five-year-old golf R because it reminds me of the car that I had when I was uh, a PT getting up at doing my 5.30 AM client. Uh, I got a, uh, a rent an apartment that's got a view of Sydney Harbour Bridge and Opera House where I see the sunset in the evenings. I got a dog and I've got a job that doesn't stress me out or fatigue me too much. So like when I look at my life, there are definitely things that I bought with pleasure, but I can distinctively know what those things are. And I know that they're stupid uses of money and that it will bring me pleasure for a short period of time, like a watch that I don't wear. But then I know the things that bring me happiness. And like even getting a dog is the craziest one because I get woken up early. And now after this call, right, people think I live a luxury life. I'm going to pick up dog shit. Then I'm going to get the mop out because my dog hates the mop. He's a puppy. Having a puppy-free mop session on the balcony is going to be the highlight of my fucking day. Then I'm going to take my car to the car wash because I haven't been able to get it washed in so fucking long because of the dog. Then I'm going to mop the inside of the kitchen because I just want to, and my dog hates the Hoover as well. So everyone out there probably thinks that I'm out living this lavish life, flashing my MX, eating in the best restaurants. I can't wait to have my Dyson Hoover out and clean my rented apartment for a bit of peace before the dog comes back later. But to me, that's happiness. The sacrifice, the... Yesterday, I bought, a, I'm crazy on Amazon buying shit for my dog at the moment. I bought him like a, a 30 meter lead. So my biggest fear is that he won't come back when I call his name. I took him to a fuck off big park. I let him run off. I called his name and he came back to me. I shit you not. It's probably my happiest moment in the last three months. That, that to me was fucking better than the opera house, mate. Like wow. the fact my dog came back to me after all these early mornings and all this, and like all of this stressful time, the craziest thing, right? No one can take that away from me. People can argue with that, but they can't take it away from me. So if people, to, to answer your question a bit more directly, think about what you want that will make you happy. Also think about what you want that will bring you pleasure. But if you can distinguish the two, I know that if I ever feel like I'm not happy enough in life, I need to ignore the pleasure and go after the things that make me happy. And if people can do that and they can argue to the fucking last breath they have for it then no one can take that away from them so yeah if you can distinguish those two things then yeah you can find happiness man that was fucking awesome i love it well thank you so much for for coming on today man i know i did wanna i did try to reach out to to luke um when uh how to be confident was coming out but i think you were on bartlett piers morgan all the all these big ones at the time but glad we managed to finally get it done um i really appreciate you one of my favorite people to follow online and thank you so much for coming on again. It's, it's really, really a pleasure. Well, dude, you've got a great interview style because you let me talk a lot. Uh, so let's do this more <laughs> often. And if you want to arrange another one, just email me direct. Luke spends the majority of his day telling people to fuck off. So I can imagine. You can sometimes get, <laughs> I've, met sometimes many a game, I've let, met many a gatekeeper in my time. He's a good one. Perfect. Well, mate, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Let's not leave it another three years.